0: All right, so uh, we're in Exodus 25, and really, um, I'm not. I'm gonna. I, I've been going through little pieces here and there, kind of working through um, Exodus. in In the beginning, if you remember, it's been a while, but when I got to the beginning of Exodus, I kind of just uh, took. Kind of went up to the bird's eye view and, and instead of focusing on, um, uh, a bunch of details, I just kind of tried to speak more generally about what I thought was going on. So we talked about the nature of our slavery and the, and the deliverance from Egypt and all the pictures involved there and without getting into all the details, we, we got into some, but I, I'm kind of going to be doing that with, uh, um, with the tabernacle as well, I don't I don't have the capacity to I mean I, I'm just not able uh to to get into all of the specific details of the tabernacle and um and and nor do I want you to um I, I how do I want to say it? Um you know, the tabernacle is huge and it's it's like talking in some ways it's like talking about the cross. It's like how do you where do you even start or what what view do you even begin with or every time I mean it, it's always the same but it, it always strikes you there's aspects of it that strike you um in, in a different way and and so I don't know. I kind of have this little disclaimer here that I want to say is that you know don't don't write down, don't remember or write down what I'm going to say about the tabernacle as though by writing it down or remembering it you've learned something. I I don't I don't want you to do that. I never really want anyone to do that when I'm sharing. If the Spirit witnesses and Something in your heart and works that reality in your heart while I'm sharing from some of the things I've seen here, then that's, that's what I want. That's good. You know, then that's actually meaningful. That, that will, your, your memories of true facts or if, if, if they're indeed true aren't what God's after anyway. He doesn't want to, He doesn't want to inform you about true information. He wants to form the person of truth in your soul and anything that falls short of that is just not what he's after. And the, 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 the most, uh, one of the most dangerous things that we can do is to actually think that by acquiring truer information about the Bible, we're actually on our way to, uh, knowing, realizing God's purpose for our, for our lives. And that's not true. God, God doesn't teach you to inform you. That's, that's not, uh, <laughs> Jeremy uh, that's not what uh, he is doing he's not trying to inform you of true things and I know that that's how we start off think- everyone starts off thinking you know, that way, that way. But, but sooner or later the Lord's got to cut that thing off in your heart if I can just be blunt because he's not it's not his goal his goal is not to Make sense to your natural mind, gratify your natural mind, answer your questions. In fact, much of the time, that works against his purpose. Um, usually, in fact, you find that you begin to see spiritual realities and you can't put them into words and you don't know, you don't have a receptacle in your brain where they fit or where they can stay. And, and they're only as real as you're presently seeing them. You can't call them up a week later and have them be or feel as real because they have to remain alive, just like the manna. It has to be present. It can't, you can't use it the next day. And so, why is God teaching you anything? Why is God wanting to teach you anything? He's wanting to teach you because he wants the thing that he's teaching, which is always Christ. Some reality, some aspect, some 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 aspect of his nature or person or relationship with the father or purpose or whatever it is he's teaching you of Christ he's wanting that to be the reality that's reigning and governing in your soul that's all that's all he's trying to do and and especially when you get into something like the tabernacle which is beautiful and 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 God designed it and the whole thing's perfect perfect but perfect in its place perfect it it's perfect not to be memorized and stored in the filing cabinet of your brain it's me, it's perfect as a testimony of something that's must become a living reality in your soul and if used for the wrong thing if if learned with the wrong faculty and used for the wrong thing uh it it, it actually becomes very detrimental uh, and I know that sounds, maybe sounds a little funny to some people. How can the Bible be detrimental? I guarantee you it can. In fact, the Bible, some of the worst atrocities in human history have been done in the name of the Bible because it's not the Bible that has the problem. It's the, it's the darkened, uh, carnal mind of man that cannot see the one the Bible is talking to, or talking of, speaking of, testifying to, pointing to. Alright, so anyway, I, this is my, Tabernacle disclaimer, which incidentally is also my everything disclaimer. <laughs> you can take this and uh, put it before almost anything you've ever heard me say, and um, and uh, I, I'm not trying to teach you the tabernacle, or, or, or even or even present to you anything other than a very puny uh, view of the tabernacle. But what I am trying to share with you are, are things that have touched my heart. I think the Lord has open my eyes at least to deal with my heart in certain ways about with respect to the tabernacle. And um, and uh and so, I, I don't know, I just don't want you to go to bed tonight thinking, well, I just learned more about the tabernacle and that feels satisfying. I hope it doesn't. I hope it doesn't feel satisfying unless the Spirit of God is... Um, is making the things that we're talking about tonight living realities in your heart. Then there's nothing more satisfying than that. So, um, again, like I was saying a minute ago, the, tab- the tabernacle—it's kind of overwhelming. It's, it's, it's—I I feel like it's—it's it's the cross. It is. I mean, it's like the cross because it is the. I mean, the—it's the, the—it's the—it's the work of the cross, the reality of the cross, the relationship. Established by the cross, the way that the cross works in the believer, Uh, and 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 just like, and it's too big to really talk about it rightly. I I mean, I feel like, or at least to like to cover it. I mean, I don't think you could ever. I I could do a thirty. part series on, on the cross and walk away knowing that I said nothing, truly substantial, and that the only the only substance really happened if and when the Spirit of God testified to some, some things in your heart while I was speaking. I feel the same way about the tabernacle, although I don't think I could do 30 sessions on it, but uh, I could do a few and... Um, and we're going to get going with that tonight. I kind of introduced it last week, introduced the fact that God says in Exodus 25, and that's kind of where the tabernacle starts. Oh, and by the way, like there's several chapters here, um, that are describing the tab, or God's describing the tabernacle to Moses. And then there's several chap- uh, chapters where the people are making the, tabernacle exactly as God described it to Moses so it's a little bit repetitive here in the end of Exodus and that's why I said but one part of the reason I said I'm not going to go like verse by verse through this part because you know it says you know one, one chapter says make me a ark of acacia wood covered with gold this or that and cherubim's on the top one piece and all that ton-. and then and then the next chapter says and then they made an ark of acacia wood covered with and it says the exact same things you know repeats it so um I'm, take, I'm taking some steps back here and looking at looking at it from a from more of a bird's eye view. And the thing that we said last week, where we'll pick it up again this week, is that God says in Exodus uh, 25, "Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them." And that's what this is all about. Okay, that's the that's the crux of this whole. Thing. If you're wondering what the tabernacle is about, in very general terms, that's it right there. It is the way. It's, what is it showing you? It's showing you the nature of the union or the dwelling together between the human soul and the living spirit of God. God wants to dwell among the people. He does that in a very, very specific way. That way is illustrated in the tabernacle. Man desires, at least when he has light working in his heart, desires to be uh found in, wrapped in, clothed in, hidden in Christ, in God. The way that God gives that to the human soul, the way that God makes that a possibility is, is shown to us here in the tabernacle and what that actually does in your heart and what, how that works in you and by him is, is, is what I see demonstrated here in this, in this tabernacle. But it all kind of starts right here. It's one of the first things he says. He says t- two of the most important things are right here at the very beginning of Exodus 25. First of all, the purpose for the sanctuary or the tabernacle that I may dwell among them and the the absolute necessity that they make it according to a pattern. He says, um, the next verse, verse nine, verse 8 says, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Verse 9, according to all that I show you, that is, the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you should make it. Now, the the pattern is so important it's and I and I can't and I can't even uh, sometimes I feel like I you know without the fact that God says to make it according to a pattern is the the, the fact that they that needed to make it very specifically very uh, uh, the, the fact that it's a model of something is something that needs to really grip our hearts because the the value of the model is the thing that it looks like without if a model didn't look like anything then I don't think we would consider it very valuable if you put together you know you got your glue and your little plastic bits and your whatever you threw away the instructions and just made this big glob it, you would have all the same parts and pieces there. You'd have the exact same model kit, you know, like those little model airplanes or model boats, whatever, people put those together. But if you just kind of smeared the glue all over the place and stuck stuff wherever you wanted, so, someone might call that art, I guess, but but it would have no resemblance to the thing it's supposed to look like. And therefore, I don't think you'd get a whole lot of... uh People paying much attention to it, you know, if you set it there on your mantle, you know, people might walk by and say, good lord, what's that? But they're not going to say, that's a great model. And it's, a, you know, maybe a better, a better analogy would be, uh, uh, a, a picture because, you know, a photograph, and I've used this analogy before, but like, what makes, what makes a photograph valuable to you? It's the, it's the, it's not the paper or the ink that are, you know, and it's not just the fact that it is a picture. It's the one that it's a picture of. So you put on your wall or in your wallet or in your, on your computer or whatever, you put the pictures that re- represent the people you love. And if it's, if it's just, you know, if some, some random guy with a hot dog walks in front of your camera while you're taking a picture of your wife, you're not gonna keep that one. I mean, most likely you're not going to keep that picture because it's not the picture that you like it's the one that it's it's the one that that picture is representing and it's a good picture if it represents that person well if it represents how you like to think of that person and how you you know that person and 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 the smile that you know warms your heart or the twinkle in her eye or the you know whatever and, and, and it, but, but if someone were to see you collecting pictures of your wife that you like or your family and, and say, hey, you like pictures? Here's one. And then they hand you the picture and it's of some random person you've never seen in your life. And it's, but you know, I heard you like good pictures. Here's a good one for you. It's not going to have any value to you. And that's, and, that, and there's, there's a reason, there's a reason for that. And that's because, um, because the the value of the model the value of the pattern is the thing that it's that it's testifying up well it, that's exactly that is exactly what has been going What's it, going on in, in the ta- in fact the the entire old co- covenant all of the laws not just the tabernacle but all, but, but but definitely the tabernacle in, in fact it it's said God tells them three times and fa- it's mentioned seven times that they did it exactly according to the to the pattern that God showed them on the mountain what's so important about the pattern well nothing is important about the gold itself or the oil itself or the or the ram skin or the any of it itself and yet it was made to look like to represent to point to bear the image of a spiritual reality that is precious and to whatever extent it deviates from that pattern it's worthless okay to to whatever extent you know uh you you've you've changed the one whose image it bears, then it is absolutely defiled it becomes an abomination it becomes something that man has besmeared with his own uh nature imagination idea carnality and uh and and god is very very strict especially in the very outset of this thing where he's establishing the covenant you know you just do not let flesh get involved in the, in this that's not an option flesh cannot your ideas your flesh present in places where that represent my son um your own fire your own anything and um so I hope that makes sense because the pattern is what we're going to be looking at, and the pattern is of something. And I know, I know I'm repeating myself, but I just want some of this, some of this stuff. I want to just kind of uh, float around your heart tonight while we're talking, and, and hopefully the Spirit of God will make it come alive to you in a greater way. The pattern is the nature, the nature of a relationship. Do you know that Christ is your relationship with God? He's not the, just the one that gave you a relationship. He is the relationship. He's not just the, he's not, he's not just the, uh, the legal right that you have to have a relationship with God. He's not just your lawyer. He's not just the one that gave you, uh, prepared a place. He is that place that he prepared. He is the relationship. God speaks through the prophet Isaiah. I will make you son he's speaking speaking to the suffering servant, speaking to the speaking to Christ, I will make you into a covenant for the people, a light to the nations. And and he may, And in that, that's that's what he does. Jesus becomes the nature he, by living in him, by partaking of his life, his death and then his life. If we die with him and live with him, then in living in him we partake of his relationship with his father and he is that relationship he's the substance of it he's the he's how it works he's the light the life the glory of it he's the death of it he's the washing of it he's every aspect that we're going to come to and see in this in this tabernacle okay it's all a person and that's why god is so particular about the model the model is the value. So he's saying basically this. Let me, sh- God is saying in Exodus 25, let me show you how God and the soul can dwell together, but be very careful to make it according to the one way that that actually is possible, which is going to be a picture of my son. Okay? So the model is everything. The model is everything, and and what, what what you'll see here, and what you always see about the Lord in the Old Testament, although it's often misunderstood, is that the relationship that He offers the human soul is is extremely exclusive. Well, it's it's both extremely inclusive and it's extremely exclusive. It's it's inclusive in that it invites everybody into it, but the way into it is to come and die. And 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 yet it's exclusive in that it only allows one man to be the life. It only allows one man to live. And that man is not you, although you can live in him and by him. So God is extremely inclusive in that He opens His arms as wide as the world is and says anyone that wants, whosoever believes, anyone that wants to, the door is wide open. He is exclusive in the sense that there's blood on that door and it, and it's your own death that, 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 that blood, that, that blood is obviously the death of Christ, but you crucified in Him. And so once you walk through that door, it's not you that's living on the other side, it's not I, but Christ who lives in me and and that inclusivity and that exclusivity are shown in a whole bunch of pictures and types and shadows, and some of them are are very offensive to the carnal mind that just especially the ex- the exclusivity shown in um in the things that are supposed to represent Christ all and in all when there's something else in the land in the temple in the city in the kingdom that is supposed to represent Christ and his government that isn't Christ God is very very quick and very merciless to remove that thing and those again those stories because we don't understand them we don't know what they're talking about we just see the a natural earthly view of those things then we find them uh uh we we find them offensive, and like someone said to me recently, or someone said to a friend of mine recently, they they end up saying things like, you know, I'm more of a New Testament guy than an Old Testament guy. Uh, you know, they say stuff like that. I like the God of the New Testament better than the God of the Old Testament, which is which is really a ridiculous thing to say. And and, and yet, it, it, part of part of that misunderstanding comes from not understanding what these pictures are even talking about. So. I have a. I just have. I have this disclaimer section here in my notes, and I thought I made it through it. But I. I. I just let me just say one more thing. The. The the tabernacle. When when you go, if you have before, and I don't necessarily recommend this honestly. I. There's a few. There's a few books that I think maybe are helpful. Um. to, To some extent, but. When you when you generally find books on the tabernacle. Even ones that say that seeing Jesus in the tabernacle, or I don't know, the cross in the tabernacle. At least I, I've read some of those books, I, I and I've read a bunch of things uh, online, and and what what usually strikes me as kind of sad is that I don't feel like people let the let the Lord appear in their reading of the ta- in their reading of scripture and define the things himself. I think what people do is they bring their own ideas and and conceptions and then they look for where they can kind of pin the tail on the donkey with the you know it's like okay the you know some some Calvinist or something, you know, approaches the, 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 the tabernacle and, you know, you, you read there's these five golden clasps or something. And those, those must be the five points of Calvinism, you know, or there's these three, uh, chambers and, you know, that's gotta be the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Cause there's three and three, you know, or, you know, and, and, and what they end up doing in a lot of what I read, it, it doesn't even feel like they're, like the Lord is using these details to testify to their hearts, and this could be my own judgment, and and so throw it away. But this is just what I get the feeling. Um, it's, it's not really like the Lord is showing them Himself. It's more like they're bringing a bunch of stuff that they know to the tabernacle or to whatever picture, whatever stories you know they're reading. And saying, okay, well, this lines up with what I read, what I already know here. And, and this number matches what I know about that. And if there's ten of those, then there's, that's gotta be the ten commandments. And if there's, you know, seven of those, then that's the seven days of the week, the seventh day, you know, and, and, and so when they, when you read them, it's kind of like, it's, it gets to be kind of confusing because it's almost like you're reading a code book or something like, um, like you're decoding the tabernacle and, and that's just never how God speaks to the human heart that's not what he's trying to do He's not trying to decode the Old Testament you know and and find out you know all, all, like, like like as though as though that would do anything for your heart to have decoded it it's not a code. It's not a, not a doctrine. It's not a collection of doctrines. It's, it's a pattern of a spiritual reality. It's a pattern of God living in your soul and you living in God and what happens to the soul and to God or, or the glory of God in that relationship. And, and and i just feel like the i just wanted to throw that my my last little disclaimer thing in there too because um just just because i think we're so we're so prone to do that you know we we grab our own stuff we bring it to some bible verse and we start connecting dots that god really doesn't want us to connect all right so let's start talking about the um the actual. I'm going to put up this diagram now, if I can. Okay, there we go. This is a a, a diagram of the of the tabernacle, and I, I I think I stole this out. I don't think I made this. I'm, I'm positive I didn't, but I might have added a few arrows and things, and I'm not sure but um there's a million of these on the internet and uh so what we're going to see here well when god interestingly enough when god describes it he starts with the ark so he starts um let's see can i do a little arrow thing here ooh how about that okay so he can you see that green arrow how about that yeah okay so he starts there and he starts describing it from from here on out. So he starts heading out here and then gets there and then ends up here. Um, and yet our approach, so to speak, is the other way around. And we start here, the door, and we head back in here. In, in in experience, it's, I don't want you to get the idea that this is like seven steps to Christian maturity or anything like that. That's not. Don't go there. Um, it, but there is an order to uh, there's a there's an order to our experience, an order to our comprehension, uh, an order to growing in the truth. I'm not sure how to say it without. I don't. I don't. I definitely don't want to get. I don't want to uh, communicate like uh, like, like the, the standard idea of like Christian stair steps to climb or something like that. Let me just review it. in case this is new for some of you here. the The, the door here faces east, the, the rising of the sun, and the first thing you bump into here is the laver. The laver is um, I'm sorry, that's not even true. Is the bronze altar? The laver's right here. The bronze altar is this this big altar that made of bronze and that's where all of the the offerings were offered up to the Lord the the various uh, burnt offerings and and uh, parts of the sin offering some of it was dragged outside the camp and whatever it's this huge thing. I forget the exact dimensions. It's like seven feet by seven feet, and it's got—I made that up, so don't take that down on your nose. It's got this grate, and then, and then at the, um, you know, where the ashes fall down into the the base of it, the ashes are collected regularly, taken outside the camp, and 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 disposed of. And so that's the first thing. The second thing here is this laver, and the the laver is um it's like a big bathtub type thing and it is full of water and the priests wash in it the, the ones who are doing the sacrificing and then you know the ones who are entering into the into the uh the sanctuary here are they have to wash in this laver the laver is made of the, the, the mirrors of the women of Israel, it says. They didn't, they didn't have like glass mirrors. They'd have like polished brass or that kind of thing, which were melted down and made into this laver. And then there's the, the sanctuary, which is like both, it's this whole thing here is, is the sanctuary, but then there's the holy place, which is the first chamber here, okay? And then there's the holy of holies, which is right there. And inside the, um the the holy place is, there's the bread of the presence right there, there's the candlestick, or they call it here, the menorah, uh, then there's the altar of incense right there, and then behind the, this is the veil, and uh, the ark. Okay, so most of you probably knew, have seen this diagram before, maybe you haven't, I don't know, just to be safe. Um, thought I would put it up here and just kind of reference it as we're going through the door. I guess the way that one of the one of the ways that I feel like I, I the Lord deals with me through the tabernacle. I guess you could put it that way is by seeing here what I've labeled in purple uh, or, or maroon or whatever the way the truth and the life. I see the way as this brazen altar, and I'm going to describe what I mean by that, and the truth, the truth being faced here, and I'll explain what I mean by that, in the life experience there, and, um, and so, the, the, and, well, I'll get to that, I guess I'm kind of getting tongue-tied, because I want to run ahead into a ver- various different things, but, Let me slow down here. Why do I call the the altar here, or you know, and it's the door, the door of the of the. There's this courtyard around it, this white thing that goes all the way around. Um, that goes. There's like that's like this outer kind of boundary around the whole thing, and there's a door, a doorway right here, and the first thing you bump into when you come into the doorway is this giant, um, is this giant brazen altar, right? Why do I call that the way? Uh, I call, I call that the way because the way, right? right? Because the way that God provides for the soul, for the human being to come into the, the, the only way that God provides for you to experience anything else that's beyond that door, anything that's in here at all. The only way that you'll ever experience it is the door which brings death. It's the door that, it's the, it's the door that burns with fire and reduces all flesh to ashes, which are, like I said, collected in that, under that grate and and dumped outside the gate. And, and a huge part of our relationship with God. In fact, the, the very beginning of truly experiencing our relationship with God and Christ is comprehending this death, this judgment. I mean, that, if you try to take a running jump and skip over that brazen altar, and so you just maybe get singed a little bit, and then, and then try to go into anything else. Even the labor. I mean, not not only would God have killed you in the Old Testament for for doing that, because that's completely. I mean, literally, people died for doing stuff like that. Um, even kings would go, you know, in and and they they weren't, uh, you know, they they weren't allowed in, and they became totally leprous until the day they died, or were some were struck dead, or whatever. But not, not only, not only would, that, th- th- would that, God in the shadows uh, have struck you for that, but the reason He would strike you for that is because it's completely and, and entirely contrary to His way. The way that you, the way that you even begin the journey, like Paul says in Romans 6, do you not know that all those who are baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? Or he says in in Colossians, you know, don't you guys know that you were buried with him in baptism? And now raised up? You've been raised up and hidden with Christ and God? Don't you know that that's how this thing started? The cross, this this brazen altar, this brass altar, it's the cross, but it's one part, it's at least, at least in the view that I'm talking about right now, because it has come, it has struck my heart in other ways as well, but, it is an incredible, fiery judgment. It is the total rejection of the wrong man. It is flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. Flesh cannot be spirit. Flesh cannot inherit the kingdom. The perishable cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Not only is it the wrong, not the, the wrong nature being physical and natural and corruptible, it's also filled. It's also, it's also, oh, maybe the, it's the wrong kind and it's the wrong nature. It's stained. It's saturated with sin. It's governed by, by darkness. It's filled with what is called the, the nature of sin or the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of Satan. It cannot mix with with God. And the only way and, – and so many pictures in various other places – God will only have a people who have passed through fire. He will only have a people who can stand in his consuming fire. He will only have a people whose very nature and soul has has partaken in, has become living partakers of the nature that he is, the nature that he has. See, only then can you be his bush that's not consumed by fire. Only then can you be his Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that can stand in the fire and have the only thing touched be the things that bind them. That is the nature of our relationship with God. It is going into a door, but the door, see the door doesn't let you live. The door puts you to death and gives you another life. And yet it's the way into this relationship. And it's always a way of judgment. And you see this this door, it's not just here. The door comes up all throughout the old testament, you can't, once you start, once the Lord starts dealing with your heart about the nature of this door and how it kills you, then you're gonna, you're gonna go back and start reading Genesis again and you're gonna see it again. It's gonna, you're gonna see it guarding the way to the tree of life. You're gonna kick Adam, the Lord kicks Adam out of the garden. And, and, and puts a, a cherubim there with a flaming sword guarding the way to the tree of life. Do you see that in this picture here? Do you see that's exactly what we're looking at? The, the way is guarded to the life. It's guarded by a flaming, uh, well, a flaming altar here. A chair, with chair, you know, there's cherubim involved in this thing too. We'll get to that later when we get to the veil. And, and to the, especially to the mercy seat. But, um, there's the, the way of life is, is protected from the flesh, from the man who ate a lie and became a lie, from a man who became a living kingdom for the serpent's nature and kind. That man cannot... Get back to the tree of life. Cannot enter into that garden, which which represents the reality of being in Christ, being in His sanctuary, being in the Father's house, without being struck down. So you see, you see that right there in the the Garden of Eden. And then you see it. There's a door that Adam or God shuts. Shuts Noah and all those who are. Who are bound up with Noah in, into that judgment of the ark where they pass through and come out into a new covenant and new creation. God very specifically God puts them they all go into that door and God himself shuts that door shuts them into that door into that judgment and they come they come out but they don't come out having they they don't drown in the sea but they definitely go through it they pass they they spend a long time in that sea and come out into it as a new creation a new covenant and on a, on a high mountain with a you know all those pictures then you you know you see it's the door there's lots of little ones there's some big ones you know it, it's it's definitely the door in Exodus chapter 12 uh, with the blood on it that you have to go into and eat the dead you know you have to paint the blood kill the lamb and then eat the dead lamb and stay in. It's that door too, but it, but it's also the door. I think it's the door that the the blind, perverted sodomites couldn't find because they were struck with blindness. They couldn't find the door. They couldn't find. Remember how it says they wearied themselves trying to find the door, and then you know, and then the, when the, and the sun came up, he took them out. It's it's the door. Uh, it's the door to the tabernacle. It's the door to the temple. It's it's the doorway. We looked at it in Exodus uh, 19, it, 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 so to speak. God put boundaries. Remember, He put boundaries around the altar. I mean, around the mountain that was burning with fire. Remember that He, he came down on the the, the 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 mountain. It was burning with fire. He put put boundaries around the mountain, and then the the doorway up into the mountain. He put an altar right there, and then he killed a whole bunch of of bulls, took the blood sprinkled half of it on the altar and then half of it on the people and then they could go up into that burning, uh, mountain and eat and drink and see God. It, it's, it's all over the place and you, as you go through the, you know, you you see it in a, man, I'm tempted to just go, we'll get to, we'll get to more stories of the door, but those are some of the ones we've been to. We've been to already and it's, it's this, it's always this judgment of ad, it's a door of judgment. It's a door that kills. It's a door that removes flesh. It incinerates sin and, and does not allow the Adamic man. And so it's a door, you can say it's a door out of something and there's truth to that. It's definitely a door out. It's also a door into something. It's a door into the father's house. It's into A relationship, uh, into a union, a union between a living union, a living covenant between the Spirit of God and the soul of man. It is, you could say, the door to heaven if you understand that that is not a future and geographical, it is you have now been raised up and seated in heavenly places with, in Christ. It's, it's in Christ. It's, it, it goes on forever. It, and, and it's where your soul is found after your body is, is dead. And I'm not trying to say that that's not true, but it doesn't begin when your body dies. It begins when you go through the door. It begins just like Paul said in Ephesians chapter two, when you, you were dead with him and he made you alive with Christ, raised you up and sat together in heavenly places. It's when he, he, he makes you a citizen of heaven before your body dies. He, he seats you in heavenly places before your body is put back to the earth. That so you could say in this sense it's a door in that sense rightly it's a door to to heaven it's a door to life it's a door to light and it's a door to the to the glory of God. And all of all of that is seen inside the sanctuary. So so this is the way and you know Jesus Jesus talks about this with his disciples in John 14. It's it's, it's such a shame that we put all of those things we don't understand off into the future. When when Jesus says, I need to go away and prepare a place for me, he says, I'll be right back. In a little time, you'll see me again, but I have to, you know, he wasn't talking about thousands of years later. He's talking to his disciples about what he had to go do right then. And what he had to go do was was prepare the way, but, but he, the, the, what did he, how did he do? He, how did he do that? He lit this fire is what he did. He started a fire. He 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 became a bloody door. He didn't just open the door. He became the door. He didn't just make a way. He became the way, and he did that through death. He did that through opening a death that others could enter into as well. Do you see what I'm saying? That's why he says, the disciples say... You know, Jesus, we want to sit with you over here in the sanctuary, on your right and on your left. Can you can you do that for us? And Jesus says, you know what? I have a baptism to undergo first. And he and he looks at them and he says, can you? I I have a I have a death to die. I have a, I have a fire to, 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 I have a, to to ignite. I have come to set fire on the earth. I, I have come to be baptized with a baptism that, that you don't understand. And then, and then he looks at him and he says, can you guys be baptized with the baptism I'm talking about? And they said, yeah, sure. You know, I'm sure they're thinking water or maybe they have no idea what he's talking about. That's probably what I probably would have said. Yeah, sure too. But, but then Jesus says, Interestingly enough, Jesus says, "You will be baptized with that baptism, and he wasn't talking about water there at all. He was going in Jesus was going into a, a a baptism of fire, a baptism he was opening that door do you see what do you see what i'm trying to say he's he's making a way out of Adam into the father's house he was make, he was preparing a way." preparing a place for them to abide and he had to make the way and the way that he made was a way for us to die you see that's what didn't exist before the cross there was no way out of adam there was plenty of ways to die physically but there was no way to be there was no way for those who were dead in sin to become dead to sin that was impossible a million natural deaths couldn't accomplish it. A billion years in so-called purgatory couldn't do it. There was no way for you to get out of the man who God had rejected. You were born into that man, and the way out was through death. And God had to make a way for you to get out. I hope you're following me here. So, so the way that he made it was a very specific way. He didn't just point to a secret door. He didn't just teach you a bunch of teachings and say, "Obey these." He didn't just. He didn't do. He didn't do any of that. That wasn't the thing that Jesus had to do. That's not what he said. Look, you're gonna get confused for a little while here, guys. I'm going away. You're gonna weep and be sorrow. The world's gonna rejoice because they kill me, but you're gonna be sorrowful and sorrow. But then you're gonna see me again. You're gonna understand that I've opened the way, and then you'll know that I am in you. You are in the Father, and I am in the Father. You are in me and I am in you. Which is exactly where you go when you go through this, when you go through this brazen altar. You go into that very reality, that very relationship. And, and so Jesus, our great high priest, had to create that way. And unless, unless he, unless he was baptized with that baptism. That we all have to be baptized with to enter into him. A baptism of the spirit of God and of fire. Remember John the Baptist made that distinction. He baptized with water, but the one who comes after me is, is, is offering you a much more serious baptism. It's a baptism that, that cuts away something, burns away something, and gives you something else. It burns away one man and gives you the spirit of another. It, it, it removes and it offers. It, it's, the, it's, this, it's a brazen altar. It's it's a fire that doesn't allow any. Fle- there was no animals running around nibbling on the the showbread in the tabernacle because they somehow slipped past the the brazen altar. You know, all flesh died there. There was nothing beyond that altar. Nothing. Let me say it this way: nothing lives beyond that door except christ and his working in the soul of man and everything else everything else is cut down by that altar and the and the residue if you if you are in Christ and you think that something else besides Christ can live, then that's only because you haven't visited the 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 labor. That's only because you haven't spent enough time. Facing the truth, looking in the mirror, washing in the water of the word, removing from your hands and feet the residue of what was killed at the brazen altar—that's what the labor is all about. And I don't know—I I guess I'm kind of out of time. But but that that that's what we're gonna see. I'll just I'll just mention it. We'll pick it up at, with the labor next week. But that's that's what the laver is all about. You 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 face the the. You, you find the way at the brazen altar. You face the truth in the laver. The laver is a, is a, is a, is a, uh, a collection of different pictures of your soul seeing, facing the truth and being transformed, conformed to the same image. It's a, it's, it's, it's a, there's a bunch of pictures of it and, and we'll, we'll look at this in, in a, in a, in a handful of, uh, a handful of scriptures next time but I'll I guess I'll just stop mostly just covering the way tonight and we'll get into some of the other stuff next time. And I, I know this is going to take me a few weeks to get through this so